Today, I want to let you know, if you've got your Bible, if you'll open your copy of God's Word uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to be looking there in just a moment, and we're going to be looking at chapter 15 in that wonderful book that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, that church that is so carnal, and they're really mixed up, and Paul is admonishing them and challenging them uh, that they're to stay focused on who God is and who Jesus is, and so he comes to teach them uh, the very basic truths of what we ought to be celebrating as believers. We're going to be looking there in just a moment. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 and looking at verse number 1 through 4. But before we do that, I want to let you know that last Sunday we started a brand new teaching series uh, that will go all the way through Easter. It's called Easter According to the Scriptures. And uh, if you have your pencil or pen something to write on, I just want you to jot down a few things that we were that we called to our attention Uh, last Sunday, Uh, the very first message that we talked about was the death of Jesus. How many of y'all believe that Jesus died on the cross according to the scripture? Amen. Uh, The Bible tells us that God sent his son uh, to this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. For God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fulfillment of the scriptures became... uh, became the reality of our life as we saw Jesus, born of a virgin. Uh, He lived a sinless life. Uh, He did everything that he's supposed to do to please the Father. He became the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. John the Baptist, as he saw Christ coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean to you and I? It means that God has always got his now moment. Uh, That is, Jesus died on the cross for our sins to fulfill eternity past and to make sure that he fulfilled eternity in the future. Jesus is always the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We thank God for that today, that God gave his only son to be the sacrifice for us. And last Sunday, we learned about that. So I want you to write down a couple of things that we talked about last Sunday. If you were not here, it's important for you to know this. First of all, talking about the death of Jesus, it was a sovereign death. It was a sovereign death. That is, God became flesh and dwelt among us. The sovereign death of Jesus, God incarnate, came to this world and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. It was a sovereign death. Not just another death, but a sovereign death. So I want you to write that down. Then we talked about last Sunday that not only was it a sovereign death, but it was a sacrificial death. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. We talked about that last Sunday. So we understand that it was a sacrificial death that he died for you and for me. Then we talked about a suffering death. How that Jesus suffered there in that death. The anguish and the agony of, the, of Jesus dying. The, the suffering that he endured before he went to the cross. The beating and the shame and the spitting and the mocking and all the things that we talked about last Sunday that Jesus really did do that and he suffered as no man has ever suffered. He suffered at the hands of his persecutors. He suffered and he died and what an anguished in death that was. We talked about a suffering death. Then write this down. Not only was it a suffering death, but it was a substitutional death. The wrath of God fell on his son there on Calvary. The wrath of God that was due to all of us fell on Jesus Christ. The Bible says by his stripes we've been healed. 
The Bible tells us that the wrath of God is displayed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you and I, you deserve the wrath of God, but I'm going to take your place. And that's what Jesus did for us. He became our substitute. And I just want to say praise God for that, y'all. Because had Jesus not became my substitute, then I would be the recipient of the wrath of God upon me and the recipient of the eternal damnation that I am justly due. But Jesus substituted himself for us. And then finally, write this down, it was a scriptural death. It was a scriptural death. That is, the word of God commanded and demanded that Jesus die on the cross. And I know we're living in a world today that people say, well, Brother Jack, you know what? That's kind of old news. Let me tell you something, friend. That is good news, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Can I get an amen? How many of you are grateful today that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Can we give him praise today? He is awesome, and I thank God for that. So today I want to talk, last Sunday we talked about the death, and this is weird, y'all, but today I want to talk about the burial, the burial. But before we do that, let's open our Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, and let's look there at chapter 15 in verse number 1 through 4. The word of God reminds us, and Paul says to us, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. What does the word gospel mean, y'all? The word gospel means good news, and I'm telling you today that the gospel is good news. We're living in a bad news world. We need some good news. Amen. The Bible says, Paul said, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Would you read verse number three and verse number four with me out loud? For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that on the third day, that he rose again on the third day, what church? According to the scripture. Now when you look there together, it's been interesting this week uh, to investigate some of the many ways that we try to rid ourselves of the body of someone that's deceased. And, and here's a profound thought. How do you get rid of God's body? How do you do that? How do you finally understand that God became man and dwelt among us? Now, how many of you believe that he really had a body? And when we think about that, we have to ask ourselves, how do you get rid of the body of God? If Jesus was God in the flesh and he literally had this incarnate body, how do you get rid of God's body? What do you do with the body of God? And we realize that the scripture says there in 1 Corinthians that Jesus died for our sins and then it talks about according to the scripture and then it talks about how that he rose again according to the scripture. We realize that in that moment, that right sandwich between the death and the resurrection is the, the burial, the burial of Jesus. And, and I begin to investigate this week all the ways that people try to get rid of a body. Now, I just wanted to kind of go through this with y'all, but it's, some of it's really freaked me out, y'all. You know, when you've got to realize that a body gives evidence. So, so you got to have a body to give evidence of how somebody died. And we even know that in the courts of America today that you can't even prosecute somebody unless you have evidence that there's, a, there's something's happened to a body. So I begin to look in the, this week of how do you get rid of a body, y'all? And, and here's some things I found out. Saronic says freezing the body as in hope it can be thawed out later on. So, so you take somebody's body that's died 
and you freeze it. And then later down the, down the years, you thaw it out. I was just kind of pondering in my mind as I thought about that, I kind of pictured some of y'all. What would it look like if we froze you and then thawed you out. Boy, that would be an ugly mess, wouldn't it? I mean, some of you are pathetic already, and think about it after you're, after you're thawed out. And so they're, they're trying to figure out, can I freeze you? When you die, can I freeze you? And when we get the, uh, you know, we get the, uh, the cure, we'll thaw you out and fix you again. And I thought, wow, that's weird. And then there's this thing called memorial diamonds that they do today. And that is you pressurize people's ashes and you put them in a diamond. It's called Memorial Diamonds. And so you take your loved one and you get rid of, you know, you you, you do their ashes and then you pressurize the ashes into a diamond and you wear that diamond. So you could, if you, like if you were married, you could say, can I introduce you to my wife? You know, just kind of, here it is, I I got her pressurized in this diamond. Or, hey, how about her? Isn't she gorgeous? And you, you, you just pressurize them in a, in a diamond. And then there's this, this thing called freeze drying. Uh, don't even ask me. And then there's another one that, that they, they break down your body so that it can be recycled into the ecosystem in water. Uh, there's this thing called mummification, you, you know, like a mummy. There's this thing, now I wouldn't recommend this in St. Clair County, so y'all don't get any bad ideas on this one. It's called funeral cannibalism. You just eat each other after you die. And then there's this other one called eternal reefs. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? Like exotic. So what you do is you die, and then they take your remains, the bones of what's left of you, and they add cement to it. And then they take you out on the coast and dump you out there and make a reef out of you. That would be cool. Uh, you know, that you would just be a reef for some of the fish to build their homes around. And then there's another one called cliff burial. They stack people up on the side of a cliffs in a box, and they just line them up, drop them off the cliff in a box. And then there's this thing called tree burial. Uh, that, that, what that means is you kind of get put in a birdhouse. And you can just kind of be outside in a tree, buried like a, like a birdhouse. And then there's this other one called space burial. Uh, what we do is we just pressurize your remains and shoot you off into space and you're in a rocket and there you are, you're a space burial, a space cadet. Seems out of this world to me. That was a, that was a joke. Uh, plastation. Plastation, what they do is, is they transform the de- deceased body into plastic by replacing the water and the fat with silicon. Uh, there's this thing called burial at sea. You just throw everybody overboard. Just bury them at sea. You've heard of that. And then there's this thing called cremation. Uh, they just cremate you. And then there's this thing called ground burial. They just dig a hole and put you in it, which we're kind of familiar with. You know, they, they dig a grave and put your, you in a casket and put you in the ground. And so if you were to ask me, y'all, Brother Jackie, which one do you prefer? I prefer the last one, the rapture. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know, I just think that I would sign up for the rapture, y'all. But isn't it amazing when you think about it, what do you do with the body of the deceased? What do you do with that? Now, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, which is the hallelujah moment, right? That we all get together and we talk about, men, Jesus is alive. How many of y'all believe that? But how many of you also recognize that there's not one thing about Jesus' life that was accidental? I'm telling you, God the Father planned his burial.
It wasn't accidental. I've been at the bedside of many people who drew their last breath and uh, they, they went off into eternity. The heart monitor was beating and then it flatlined. And after that, you come to the place as a person, as a family, to say, what are we going to do with this body? How can, we, how can we make it a dignified moment for this person? And man, I've seen it. I've seen people weep over that, and they start talking about it. And I know it's kind of morbid for y'all, but people ask like, man, what are we going to do at his funeral? How are we going to remember this person? What kind of clothes do we, we want to bury them in? What's it going to be like on that day? And, and I wanted to tell you that God the Father did not make a, one single mistake when he came to burying his son. As a matter of fact, if you believe that the death of Jesus was supernatural and it was God in charge of that, and if you believe that the resurrection of Jesus was supernatural and God was in charge of that, then you also have to agree that God was in charge of burying his son. Because how do you get rid of the body of God? What do you do when God dies in the flesh? Did, did, did it just kind of, did we, did we skip that, y'all? Do we go from the death and the resurrection and we just kind of say, well, you know what, the burial is not a lot of thoughts given to. The single greatest miracle the world will ever know is the miracle of the resurrection which demonstrated his accomplished work of redemption on the cross, the power of God over death. So rightly so, we are thankful for his sacrificial death and we celebrate and we rejoice over the fact that he gave victory over the grave. But between the crucifixion and the resurrection is the burial. At first glance, it would seem anything but miraculous it would seem that, that we just kind of scan over that. Jesus died, he was buried, and the third day he rose again. It seems like it, the burial is anything but miraculous. But oh, my friend, let me assure you, the burial of Jesus was a miraculous burial. The burial of Jesus Christ is as supernatural as any other part of his sovereign work on this earth. It is a supernatural intervention in every detail of Christ while he was on this earth. His birth was supernatural, his life was supernatural, his death was supernatural, and his burial was supernatural. So today I ask you to open your Bible to the book of John as we look at the burial today. The burial of Jesus, and how many of you realize that we gotta, we gotta process through the death and we gotta process through the burial in order to celebrate the resurrection. But we see the word of God in the book of John chapter 19. And before we look at verse number 31, I want us to make sure that we don't rush through verse number 30 today. Verse number 30 tells us about this moment. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, do you have your Bible open, everybody? You have your Bible open to John chapter 19. If you do, say amen. There is no other sound any beautiful, more beautiful than the sound of God's word being turned, the pages turned in the word of God. In verse, number, verse number 30 of chapter 19, it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is what, church? It is finished. It does not mean that it was over, but his purpose and his plan was finished. 
And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. You know what? When I read verse number 30, I kind of went back in my mind and I kind of thought about this. Before that verse number 30, people were shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. People were spitting and laughing and mocking. They were saying all kind of things against him. Things like this. If you are God, why don't you come down from that cross? If you saved others, why don't you save us? If you really are God, and all kinds of people were shouting it, and they were seeing all kind of blasphemy against him. It's almost as if you can hear the echoes of the crowd as they begin to blaspheme the Son of God as he hangs on that cross and they have crucified him on that cross and all of a sudden there's a monumental moment that happens at that moment when the Bible says that he uttered these words it is finished and I'm telling you I believe this with all my heart I believe that when he said those words and the Bible says he gave up the ghost I believe you could hear a pin drop there's something somber about the moment when somebody dies there's something somber about that. It's almost as if the blaspheming stops. It's almost as if the screams hush. It's almost as if angels say, shh, this is a holy moment. This is a somber moment. This is a, a moment that separates time and eternity. For don't you know that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Don't you know that death is a somber moment. It's a door that opens up to each and every one of us that separates us from time and eternity. And it's almost as if you could see the angels in heaven saying, shh, be quiet. You, you need to be quiet. There's something about it at that moment when the room is filled with people and family members are there chatting and all of a sudden the heart stops and the pulse quits beating and they say these words he's gone she's gone there, there's a quietness in the room there, there's, a, there's a supernatural quietness that happens and I believe that on God got this hill at that moment, there was a supernatural quietness that took place at that moment. The Jews, therefore, because it was preparation, the day before the Sabbath, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath day was a high day or a holy day, they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already and they, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And by the way, that was so big, the piercing was so big that he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your hand in my side. It was a big wound and there came out blood and water and he saw it bear record and this record is true and he knew that he saith what he said is true that you might believe underline that in your bible for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled remember that underline that in your bible that every piece of this story is so that the scripture should be fulfilled a bone of him is not broken and again another scripture said they looked upon him that was pierced and after this Joseph Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him leave and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus 
There came also Nicodemus, which had the first came to Jesus by night in aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden there was a new tomb wherein was never a man laid. There they laid Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the, for the tomb was nigh at hand. Now let's think about this for a minute. Before we dig in today, are you with me? Say amen. Uh, let's think about this, the Sabbath day of worship for the Jews. The day began at 6 p.m. The Sabbath day began at 6 p.m. The Jewish days begins at 6 p.m. and they ran until 6 p.m. the next night. That is from sundown to sundown is called the day on the Jewish calendar. So strict Jewish law said that once the Sabbath began, no work could be done, and that would include burying people that died. So, so they would, rather than bury somebody after the Sabbath began, they would just take them off the cross and throw them in a garbage heap. And I've been to Israel and I preached there. And, and you realize that it's called the, 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 the garden heap of Gehenna and they would take the bodies down and throw them in a dump or they would leave them hanging there uh, all day and all night and all day the next day until the Sabbath was over and the birds would come and pick the flesh of that one that's on the cross and the animals would just destroy it, the body. Jesus died at 3 p.m. that afternoon. He died on Friday, the day of preparation for the Sabbath. If anything was to be done with Jesus' body, are you listening? Say amen. It had to be done immediately and it had to be done quickly for there was only three hours left until the Sabbath day began. Only three hours remained to get the body off the cross and get the, do something with the body. He only had three hours. It seems like a daunting task to know that we've got to take a body down and we've got to wrap that body up and prepare it to put it in a tomb. The Romans either dumped the bodies of the crucified criminals in the trash heaps or they left the bodies hanging there on that cross. So we looked there together. We realized that they had a very small amount of time to do the work. It would almost seem impossible to do that task to take a body off the cross at three o'clock and get it all prepared, get it all done, get it all in the tomb before the Sabbath day began. But yet God had distinguished that that was gonna happen according to the scriptures. So the very first thing that we need to put our mind around today, and point number one is what is the prophecies about this moment? What is the prophecies? Now you realize that all through the Old Testament that there was prophetic words that were given about the death of the, the life of Jesus. And there were prophetic words that were given about the death of Jesus. But my friend, there were prophetic words given about his burial. And we know that God made sure that his son had a proper burial. So we look at John chapter 19. It says, the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that was a Sabbath day, was a high day, and besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. Now the reason they done that is because it was amazing to me when you begin to study all this historically. They would take people and crucify them on the cross, and it is said that, that it wasn't uncommon for somebody to hang on the cross for eight hours and still be alive. Can you imagine that? And, and they would come to the cross and uh, they would do something that would hurry up the death. 
Because people that were on the cross, they would, their, their legs would be pinned to the cross and their arms were pinned to the cross and they would be crucified and they would be in anguish, the anguishing pain of the crucifixion. And what they would do, these criminals that were, that were crucified on the cross, they would, they would be gasping for breath, doing everything they could do to get another breath and they would push themselves up on that cross so that they could get another breath in their lung. And they would intake that breath and then they would slump again. And they would repeat that over and over and over again. They would push themselves up, get a breath, and then slump again until finally they were so exhausted that they would die. Eight hours, people would do that. It's not uncommon. So what was they doing? What they did was they come around and they said, we're gonna break their legs. And the reason we're going to break their legs so that they will hurry up and die. Because when you break their legs, they can't push themselves up and get that breath in their lungs. So what would happen is the soldiers would come around and break their legs and it would cause them to slump. And when they slumped in that position, they would suffocate and they couldn't get another breath. So the Bible says that Jesus' legs would not be broken. The Bible tells us this in the prophecy, the first part of the prophecy. It says there, no broken bones. Go to that point, no broken bones. Now we know that in that particular passage of scripture, we find that, that as you'll notice in A, under prophecies there, you'll notice that, that it was important that they understood that there was no broken bones on Jesus. So just make sure you write that in point number A of your outline, no broken bones. Where does that come from? Well, in the book of Psalms, chapter 34, it says he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is gonna be broken. Do you think God had anything to do with that, y'all? That on his son on the cross, he would say, you're not gonna break his bones. You're not gonna, you're not gonna break his legs. That was pro prophesied in the book of Psalms. Chapter 34 and verse number 20. No broken bones. The second thing that was prophesied there is his side would be pierced. That he would have a piercing in his side. That was not by accident, y'all. That was prophesied by the scriptures. The Bible says in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12 and verse number 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, they shall look upon me whom they pierced. That soldier that took that spear and pierced his side was not an accident. God had foreordained that it was going to happen. No broken bones, and they would pierce his side. But there was another prophecy that was spoken of in that day, and that was that he would be buried with the rich. He would be buried in a tomb of a rich man. That was no accident. That Jesus himself would be taken down from that cross and he would be, his body would be taken to the tomb of a rich man. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. How many of you realize that because nobody broke his bones and because his side was pierced and because he was going to be buried in a rich man's tomb, that was all God orchestrating the burial of his son. Can I get an amen? 
No accidents with God. No accidents with God. So we know that the prophecies came true in his burial. But then notice, secondly, the people that was around to help that happen. The people that were there, and there's always people that attend that kind of burial. We find that in the scriptures, we find that there were three distinguished people or groups of people. First of all, there was Joseph of Arimathea. We find that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He was one of the Sanhedrins. He was one of the ones that had consulted, had been consulted about the death of Jesus. We realize that he was a man who absolutely was rich in the things of the world, but somehow or another Jesus got to him. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 57, and when the evening was come, there came a white, somebody tell me, a rich man. What, did, what, what kind of tomb did, did God say Jesus was going to be buried in? A rich man's tomb. A rich man's tomb. The Bible says he was a man named Joseph. And then he goes on and he says him, he was also a disciple of Jesus. Can you imagine that? He was of the Sanhedrin, but at the same time, Jesus must to have made such an impact on him that he was willing to take the risk to be a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and begged for the body of Christ. My friend, that was a death sentence on him. Do you know that? But at the same time, Pilate agreed to that. That was a miracle in itself. So they, they took Jesus' body and, and Joseph was there to put him in a rich man's tomb. And then there was not only he there, but the women that was there. There were women that were there to help out with that. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, that there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the tomb. And there they are. They're, they're there getting prepared for uh, this burial thing going on. So we got Joseph, a rich man, with a tomb that's empty. Oh, Jesus, by the way, was just not going to use it permanently. He was just going to borrow it for three days. Can I get an amen? amen? No big deal with that. I mean, I'm not going to leave any stench in there because I'm not going to need it very long. But we realize that here they are. Joseph is there, and he says, I want the body of Jesus, and the women are there, and there's reasons for that. And, but not only that, the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests and the Pharisees were there as well. That was noted by the scriptures that they were going to be there too. Now, it was important for Jesus to have some friends there, but there were some enemies there too. The, the, the chief priest and the Pharisees, who, who we know was in direct opposition to him. And Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62 tells us the next day that followed the day of preparation that the chief priest and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate and they, they made a statement. They was talking to Pilate, going, man, we got to do something. This guy said he's going to come alive in three days. we got to make sure that doesn't happen. So we, now we got Joseph, who the Bible says Jesus is going to be buried in a rich man's tomb. we got women that are there. we got the chief priest and the Pharisees that are there. we got people that are a disciple of Jesus, people that love Jesus, and people that hate Jesus. Man, what a conglomeration of a people attending your funeral, right? We got all these people that's coming together that's there at that moment. And then there's something miraculous that happens. It's called the preparation. There, there's something special about preparing a body for a decent burial. And I want you to notice in John chapter 19, verse number 38, 
it says something that's profound to me. And there's tons of things to talk about with all of this, but I believe that this is appropriate. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there was also, who else, guys? Nicodemus. Y'all remember Nicodemus? He came to Jesus by night. The Bible says that he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pound weight. Now you may want to make a distinction of this. Only people that were royalty were buried that way. People that were royalty were buried that way. Nobody else was buried. They just threw the bodies away. But people that were of royalty, kings and people that had royalty in them, they buried them like this. The Bible says that he brought that mixture weighing about 100 pounds and, and then they took the body of Jesus and then wound it in linen clothes with the spices. And, and the Bible says that men are Jews is to bury some. And now the place where he was crucified was the garden. And not far from there, there was a tomb and there was nobody ever laid in that tomb. And they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation. And the sepulcher was nigh at hand. I look at this and I, I, I begin to understand that, that wow, they took this body of God, y'all. This is not just another body. How many of y'all believe that Jesus' body was God's body, right? Amen. It wasn't just another body. They took this body of God. And the Bible says that, that can't you just see this? They're saying, okay, I'll bring, some, I'll bring some myrrh. And by the way, myrrh was a symbol of death. You remember when Jesus was born, they brought some gifts to Jesus. Y'all remember what they were? They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And can you see when they brought, the kings brought those gifts to Jesus when he was a little boy? And maybe we could just kind of elaborate, just kind of let our mind go wild for a minute. They come up to Mary and Joseph's house, these three kings, and they said, we got some gifts for your son. And, and Joseph says, come on in. Uh, I'd like for you to meet my wife and present the gifts. And the king comes in and says, I've got some gold for Jesus. Man, I believe that he's a king. And I, I want to give you some gold, Mary. Uh, here's a gift of gold for you. And the other one comes in and gives frankincense with a picture of priest. And, and, and the next one walks up to Mary and says, Mary, I've got some frankincense to give to you because of your son, Jesus, that was born. And Mary, would you accept this gift of frankincense? And so we got gold and frankincense and then the next one walks up and he brings myrrh he says Mary I want to give you some myrrh for your son can you see that she goes listen I want to tell you something I'll take your gold and I'll take your frankincense but you keep that myrrh because you use myrrh to prepare bodies why are you bringing that to my son why are you bringing me myrrh why would you bring me that gift? Can't you see the heart of Mary's drop when all of a sudden the reality of who she's been carrying in her womb becomes a reality when they present myrrh to her that she all of them suddenly realized he's going to die. So they bring the myrrh and the aloe. Now, now we realize that in that, they, that's part of the embalming process. And they they, they they put all that on his body. And then they take the linen cloths and it, they, they, they wrap that body in that linen cloth tight. So the, the body's like this, y'all. And they're, they're, they're putting all that myrrh and aloe and they're wrapping that body up like this. And man, you can't do anything when you're like this, when you're wrapped up like this. And they prepare that body for death. 
And, and they, they do that because God had ordained it. And then the tomb. Can you imagine the tomb that was there? The Bible gives us an indication about that tomb. It says in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 59, when Joseph had taken the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and they would, they would wrap that body, by the way, like this, and they would put a napkin over the face. You remember when he, when he resurrected, everything was folded in proper place. There was no wrinkles in all that. How do you wrap a body and then all of a sudden there's no wrinkles in the cloths you wrapped them in? But it says, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. And he wrote a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And the Bible says there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the tomb. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate and saying, Sir, sirs, we remember that what this deceiver said while he was yet alive. He said this, sir, that three days I'm gonna come alive again. Command that the tomb be made sure until the third day, whatever you do, don't lose that body. Because if you lose that body, the disciples will come at night or maybe they'll steal him away and say to the people that he's risen from the dead. And man, the, the th you think we've been dealing with a mess so far, you wait till that body's gone. You think we've had problems with this Jesus now. If they get his body, we got a real mess. The Bible says that the last trouble that Jesus called won't even pale, it'll pale in comparison to the last trouble he's gonna cause if we lose that body. So what they do, Pilate said to them, you have a watch, go your way, make it sure as you can. By the way, their heads was on the chopping block. If they, did, if they lost that body, they were gonna die. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch and, and they sealed this thing and they, they, they made it where nobody could get in there and they, they even put soldiers to guard it. Man, we cannot lose the body. Look at your neighbor and say, we can't lose that body. We gotta have that body because we can't let nobody steal that body because if that body disappears, man, we got problems on our hands. So they prepared it, they wrapped it, the body, they wrapped it, they, they put the spices on it, they wrapped it in, look at this, guys. Uh, they're wrapping me up, and I'm not talking about just one layer, they're wrapping me like, 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 uh, like just wrapping me, and I, they got my hands down, I'm dead, y'all, I'm dead, I, I can't do nothing, I, I got my hands down, they got me wrapped up, and they're gonna come and put me in a tomb, lay me in somebody's tomb, put, put me in a tomb, put a rock in front of it, put guards in front of it, seal the thing, and they do it, and listen, how in the world can I get loose? Only God could do that. Are you listening to me? So we got the prophecies that said, you're not gonna break his legs. We got the prophecies that says, we're gonna, we're gonna stab him in the side. We got the prophecies that says, he's gonna be buried in a rich man's tomb. We got people surrounding this thing. Joseph, the women, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the guards. We got a body and we got a tomb. He's dead and buried. Done. Can I tell you this? 
Look at me. Not done. Can I get an amen? Somebody say, not done. How many of y'all believe he came alive after three days? Can I get an amen? He came alive, guys. It's not done. They buried his body, but it wasn't over yet. So let's think about this. What was the promise that he said before he died? What did he say? What did Jesus say? Well, in the book of Matthew, a certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and saying, Master, we need a sign from you. Now, let's stop right there for a minute. Everybody wants a sign from God. You know, like, I'll follow you if you'll give me a sign. Like, you know what, God, if you'll pay my bills, I'll follow you. God, if you'll fix this, I'll follow you. God, I need a sign from heaven. I need you to show up and show me something. Look at me. He already has. If, uh, if Jesus coming alive doesn't convince you, I don't know what could. But the Bible says, he answered and said unto him, well, there's an evil and an adulterous generation that asked for a sign. But I'll tell you what, since you're asking for one, I'll give you one. I'm gonna give you a sign, and that way you'll know that I am who I said I am. And that is, as uh, I'm gonna give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, you remember the prophet Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. People go, Brother Jackie, do you really believe that? Look at me, I believe it. There's fish big enough in Logan Martin to swallow, y'all. Amen. Amen. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, so shall the Son of Man be three nights and three, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. By the way, that's a whole nother sermon. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign, there's another, what kind of sign are you gonna give us seeing that you do these things? Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna give, I'll tell you something else too. If you destroy this temple, I'll build it again in three days. What? You mean to tell me now, talking, I've been there, I preached at the temple in, in Jerusalem. And, and you look there and he says, it took 46 years to build this thing. I mean, it's massive and you mean to tell me that you can build it by yourself in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus said. You know what, guys? The burial of Jesus didn't take God by surprise. God knew that his son was gonna die on the cross. And God had given him a promise. If you, get, if you die on the cross and you're buried, three days later, you're gonna come alive again. How many of you in this building believe that? How many of you in this building are staking your whole eternity off that truth that Jesus died on the cross he was buried, but death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him. That three days later, up from the grave, he arose. How many of you believe that with all of your heart? If you believe that, give him praise in this place. He is good, y'all. You say, Brother Jackie, what's the great message of Easter? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. You say, well, what do I need to do to get saved? 
believe that. Just believe that. Say, well, I need a sign. He already gave you one. He's given you the best sign you could ever get. What is that? He's not here. He's risen. And by the way, y'all, wait, wait, listen, I'm not done with y'all. Because of what he did by coming alive again, he did something else for you. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doeth corruption inherit incorruption. But this I say, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, say it with me everybody, death is swallowed up in victory. Say it with me church, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Come on now. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Because his grave is empty. Because he ascended back into heaven. For every one of you that believe his promise, death cannot hold you. The grave cannot keep you. One day the trumpet shall sound and the graves will burst open of all those believers and we will go meet the first fruits of the resurrection in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We are also going to be raised incorruptible for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought the past the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? And oh grave, where is your victory? Not because of any other, other than Jesus Christ our Lord, that he himself became the fulfillment of the word of God and because he is the fulfillment of the word of God, everything in life and everything in eternity has been settled by the God whom we serve today. Can I get an amen? It's done, ladies and gentlemen. Praise God, it is done. Oh, but there's a bottom line. Have you ever noticed this? The burial is more for the living than for the dead. The burial is more for the living than it is for the dead. I believe that God buried his, the body of his son not because his son needed a burial but because we needed one. Because if we had never had the burial then people would be suspect of the resurrection. 
But ladies and gentlemen, because there was a burial, now there is an empty tomb. And because there's an empty tomb, Jesus came to give us life and give it more abundantly. There may be some of you here today that's never asked Jesus in your heart. Look at me and listen to me. I'm not trying to convince you to just believe in another mere man. I'm trying to tell you that God loved you so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for you. And if you'll just open your heart and let him come in, you can have a brand new life. Jesus did all he did just for you, just for me. Today, if you don't know him as your savior, what are you waiting for? What else do you need? What other sign are you looking for? Come to Christ. Give him your life. Open your heart and let him in. Say to him, Lord, you did all that just for me. And I want you to come into my heart. And if you'll ask him to come in, he'll come in. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And you'll have a home in heaven. You may be here today and you're looking for a church home. Well, I don't know about you, but I know about me. If I was not a member of Eden Westside I joined today, I'd make this my church home. I want God to use me to serve Him in this place. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. If you don't know Jesus, why don't you come? If you're looking for a church home, why don't you come? If you need to come and pray, why don't you come? Today, I'm going to ask you to stand all over this building. As we stand together, our ministers are going to come. And they're going to come to receive you and to pray for you and to encourage you. Today, you can have a brand new life because of Jesus Christ.